much trouble you've caused me? Spying on me. Almost disturbing my sleep this afternoon. Telling policemen about me? You deserve to die, boy. I could give you something I don't have. A choice. Forget about me, Charlie. Forget about me, and I'll forget about you. What do you say, Charlie? <laughs> Okay, let's see. No, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be in the sequel. I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. I am the eater of wolves and of children. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Welcome to Fright Night. For real.
Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to another ghoulish installment of the greatest October in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 340, Fright Night. And it really is our most wonderful time of the year. Yeah. We're, of course, talking about the 1985 original. Not the Colin Farrell. (laughs) But before we do, yeah, I think that me having COVID and being on the shelf for two weeks, which pretty much just made September disappear, has really, really brought greatest october right on my head like out of nowhere We're here yeah there was going to be like three episodes before <laughs> yeah there were a lot of yeah. big plans I'm big sure movies too we're going to allude to some of this stuff we're not going to reveal everything right now all in one go but obviously we missed some episodes in september while mm-hmm. i was sick but because of all of that missed time and wanting to plan ahead for what we were going to make the biggest greatest october ever we didn't get to do that initial research and record in advance and do all the work that needed to go into it so we were originally going to do 10 episodes in 31 days yeah (laughs) which does sound ridiculous yeah now more information will be shared next time as to how some of these episodes might go but half of them were going to be a little bit different in the sense that we were going to cover things that we hadn't really been covering in a while that applies to horror films but anyway 10 episodes 31 days but we needed to get way ahead of it to make that a reality especially now with matt's unexpected travel schedule yeah once we lost those couple weeks there's no way so it seems like right now the plan is to do eight episodes which is still still a a good amount yeah healthy so hold on to your butts. Yeah. If you missed us in September, you're going to be sick of us by the end of October. <laughs> Wake us up when October ends. But obviously, we think a lot of Fright Night. We picked it to yeah. kick off Greatest October, which is, I think, a pretty big episode for us so, every year. The one that kicks us off. I, this is going to sound weird because this movie makes me feel nostalgic about something, an experience that I didn't have. Uh-huh. It reminds me of being whatever 10 11 staying up at night and watching movies by myself yes and even though i didn't have that experience with this movie it makes me feel that way you mean you didn't have the experience of watching movies late at night or no you didn't fright night the- was not one of them but the whole vibe oh of this i movie- thought you meant because in the movie the character charlie brewster watches movies late at night yeah that's, and that's p- part of it that no, is it- part of it and the whole fright night series in the the vibe of it and everything. It oh, all yeah. Sort well, of I love yeah. horror hosts. I yeah. think people probably get that by how many times I've Reference mentioned Joe Bob Briggs. Uh, uh, or Elvira. <laughs> recommendations. Or Elvira, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that definitely appeals to me, too. But, yeah, I think this movie in general springs from that very notion. Oh, yeah. When you listen to Tom Holland talk about Fright Night and the genesis of the idea and the whole thing, it just comes from loving movies. In this case, specifically... Those classic yet somewhat cheesy right. late night horror movies, the vampire movies, monster movies, etc. Yeah, right from the opening of the movie, it starts off with kind of a cool night, the moon, right? I think is the first shot, and then it yeah. kind of comes into this neighborhood. But then you're like in the bedroom, and you could just tell that it's sort of late night, crappy horror on TV. That vibe, yes, this is for me. <laughs> 
Yes, so this is a movie we're pretty passionate about, which is why we're kicking off our favorite month with it. But before we talk about Fright Night, let's remind everyone to follow the show on X slash Twitter at GreatestPod. Please email us, greatestpod at gmail.com. Love to hear your anecdotes and stories about any movie, but now that we're in Greatest October, you still have time to potentially get us some horror movie stories. We would read them into November too. So please, any fun experiences seeing horror movies, maybe staying up late, watching a movie you shouldn't have been when you were too young, something like that. Yeah. Any fun recollections. That's really, I think, what we really would prefer for email. Absolutely. That kind of stuff. As always, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. And find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983 and Matt Crosby on there. What are your thoughts on this year's crop of greatest October films? That could potentially be a November prompt. Well, there you go. Although, if there's anybody who says anything negative, they're banned from ever listening. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you pick this? There, We may finish with like a semi-controversial take. I, I don't think movie. there's any doubt, any may <laughs> yeah. about it. It might be one of the most controversial things we've done. <laughs> So yeah, for those of you really holding out hope for the episode we drop on Halloween, maybe get excited about some of the other choices this <laughs> month first. <laughs> Fright Night, 1985, written and directed by Tom Holland, who to this point was only a screenwriter, but had found success penning the scripts for Class of 1984. And Psycho 2, which is beloved by this show, which is a favorite on this podcast for sure, yeah, and was a success, an unexpected success. And so he well, got yeah, a little I think bit of clout. At least the way that the documentary that we'll spend some time talking about. But the way that that documentary portrayed it is his script was the reason Anthony Perkins came on board. And then it goes from being a made-for-TV movie to a real feature uh, there might be a little bit of truth to that. yeah yeah I'm sure it that could at be. one point anthony perkins was like i'm only doing it if i like the script yeah. or something like that and then realized that there was money to be made and it didn't really matter how right. good the script was no actually it is a good script and yeah. as we talked about way back in the day when we covered psycho 2 as probably terrible as that episode was <laughs> i think the big theme even back then would have been this is way better than anyone would have expected or it had any right to be. And it's probably the best possible version you could have done. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do a whole Psycho 2 recap, but I like that idea that they do in the movie. I think that works. Right. And it makes sense. And it makes the Norman Bates character sympathetic in a weird way. It's, it's a very interesting script when you uh, think about I, yeah, it. Yeah, I'd say so. Also, Cloak and Dagger, and then later... Tom Holland would be known for Child's Play, the original Chucky film as well. So he is like a pretty respectable known horror yeah. director, but he also wrote some non-horror scripts too. The budget of Fright Night was between 7 and 9.25 million. The box office came in at 24.9 million, which made it a pretty unexpected success. The studio really didn't care much about this film. It was sort of under the radar. Not really sure. a lot of studio interference. It's one of those ones where at this time where horror was going, they're probably like, who is this for, really? Yeah. Especially since there's no mistaking that this is going to be rated R. Right. They went all out in the horror and gore effects. 
there's nudity. some nudity and some swearing, and there's no indication that, oh, this could be PG-13, which probably didn't exist yet or wasn't fully recognized yet. So there was just no doubt this is going to be R-rated, but yep. it's going to be about high schoolers and then vampires. And yeah, it does seem like a weird combination, but as we've learned in the almost 40 years since, there's always an appetite for this stuff. Absolutely. Vampires always cycle back in. Horror <laughs> always cycles back in. Vampires are always interesting because they're seductive, sexy. And always incorporating them into modern times will yeah. always be cool. So if time is always changing, then it's always going to be inserting them right. into something new. <laughs> I know, and it's even the idea of goofing on all of the tropes with vampires is something that's constantly done. Yeah, in this same year came out once bitten which we just covered right. a couple of months ago yep. which leaned way more into comedy yeah than this does this leans way more into horror than once bitten ever sure. even comes For close sure. to yeah. so they're not entirely the same but they're kind of in the same universe of vampire related comedy because for as gruesome as some of this gets, I, I think that most people recognize Fright Night as a horror comedy. Yeah, uh, with some campiness to it. Yeah, maybe not quite on the carefree level of The Lost Boys and yeah. not as goofy as Once Bitten, but right. there's definitely Somewhere some in the winks middle. and yeah. some nods and yep. things of that nature. And the tone is never... Deathly serious. Yeah, you're yeah. never afraid that we're going to see something horrible happen to the main girl or the main boy right granted it does happen to his friend but sacrifices have to be made <laughs> yeah. for those of you who have not yet seen the original fright night or would like to rewatch it for the purposes of listening to this podcast it is currently only streaming for free on amc plus mm. which starship troopers was as well so maybe that's worth investing in although I wonder if they're edited for TV if they're on AMC Plus. I don't, I don't know. know. Who knows? But I would think you can not. also do Fright Night as a streaming rental. Yeah. Which is cool because for a long time it didn't even have an American Blu ray release. Yeah. And we'll get into this later, but Fright Night Part 2, the original sequel, is almost a completely erased movie from time. That's like been impossible to to see for a while. I think there's maybe an out of print thing or a bootleg Blu-ray or something. Was this a movie that we saw as like a classic movie night? Yeah. Okay, I thought so. I think that was probably your first time seeing it. Yeah, yeah. It was Where fun. would you be if I wasn't? I know it's you true. To so it's, cool yeah, things. it's a good point. <laughs> the original idea of Fright Night is pretty simple. It's kind of like the boy who cried wolf crossed with a vampire story set in 1980s suburbia with an obvious nod or homage to Hitchcock's rear window. Totally. Except the main difference being that we have confirmation pretty early that yeah. our hero is correct. We know all along that he is a vampire, his neighbor. Which, by and the he way, interacts with the vampire. Rear Window is another one of those movies that makes me feel that same way. It's something about being alone, staying up late by yourself. Yeah. Like that feeling. Right. I miss those times. Now I can't stay up. <laughs> well, you, now you're never alone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, me being up past 11 p.m. is yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe it. The thing that unlocked the story for Tom Holland, though, because he had this idea. What if a guy who's obsessed with horror movies lived next to a vampire? That's funny. That's interesting. Yeah. 
but where do you go from there? The thing that unlocked it for him was realizing that the person this boy could turn to would be the actual horror host or horror hero. In this case, kind of the combination of the two. Yeah. Where the horror host is hosting his own films from when he was an actor. But it's realizing that a Vincent Price type character is what could be introduced to the story. And then you kind of have that meta element that makes it fun where... Yes, you are in vampire movies, sir, but vampires are real, so I need you to help me. Because you're you're the closest that we have to an expert. <laughs> and I think that's something that appeals to me, too, because of what we mentioned with yeah. Joe Bob Briggs and Elvira. Horror anthology is always on the table for me, too. I, I just love that type of storytelling. Yeah, I, I guess I, I see what you mean. There is sort of a similarity in coming out of the stories in the anthology and then there being the wraparound, yeah. which is sort of like when the host breaks up the film. The coolest versions are the ones on the premium channels like Shudder yeah. for Joe Bob or when he did it for Showtime or whatever, because then the movies are actually unedited too. Right. You just are getting breaks, but it's not actually yeah. you're missing anything or anything like that. Holland wrote the film for himself to direct in part because he was so disheartened by the film that was ultimately made from his previous screenplay, Scream for Help, which I haven't seen. And he had developed enough clout from the successes of his screenplays for Class of 1984, Psycho 2, and Cloak and Dagger that the head of Columbia Pictures said, let's take a chance on the hot screenwriter kid, not really paying much attention to it and not realizing that Fright Night would become its own little cult hit and it it stayed mostly under the radar at the studio which allowed this first time filmmaker to cast the people he wanted to cast for the most part to make the decisions he wanted to make and to have artistic control over the story as long as he kept it within budget which is sort of a dream scenario Absolutely. for a first time director yeah. but that was just a much healthier time for the studios <laughs> yeah. so this movie was their last slot and it was like their lowest budget that wow. they were doing at less than 10 million so they didn't really care that yeah. much about it they were like well maybe since it's horror it'll get a little bit of a profit and that's also key too. doing horror kind of gets you a little bit more freedom just because they know that as long as they stay within budget they're probably, probably gonna make money yeah. profit somewhere the cast and crew were given the luxury of having two weeks of rehearsal time in late November of 84 prior to filming, which is not always the case and I think helps a lot. And there is sort of a fun, easygoing chemistry between the characters because it's not as if you get scene after scene of backstory or development of these relationships. And I do have some questions about the Brewster-Evil-Ed friendship. What is their relationship exactly? I but, know. But still, I do think that the chemistry comes fast and easy, probably because of the re rehearsal, and that allows for a lot of comfort between the actors, which I think plays into the fun, weird dynamic between Jerry and Billy, where everyone sort of recognizes a lot of the homoeroticism going on there <laughs> yeah. and has commented on it for years. And I just think the actors were really comfortable and, and willing to have fun with it. From the documentary footage, it seems obvious that Tom Holland knew what he was doing. Totally. But the actors weren't, they didn't realize till they saw the movie, oh, you're having me kneel down in front of him so it looks like I'm blowing him. Like, he didn't get yeah. that was part of it. <laughs> well, one of the other things that I find myself liking about the movie is it's consistently campy, but there is still authenticity and 
a genuineness to a lot of the characters. Yeah, I think it accomplishes something that's really hard to do. And a lot of films try it and fail. And that's find the right balance in a horror comedy. Yeah. Now, we agree on this. I know because we, t- we met, talked about it a little bit before we started recording. We don't find this movie laugh out loud funny. No. There are some amusing moments, and if you're in a theater with people who are reacting, you might chuckle along, but if you're watching this by yourself, you're not cracking up or anything like that. Right. But it's amusing and fun, and it just has that fun tone where the horror is real enough because they've created some stakes by what happens with Evil Ed, pun intended, I guess, with stakes. (laughs) So you know that there's something bad could happen. We see what happens with Amy's character, and so the stakes are real, but it's also not drenched in actual horror. Right. You're not literally afraid of something that's going to happen on the screen. Like, you might be for Nightmare on Elm Street or something like that, where you're you're actually kind of afraid of it. Totally. There's really no actual fear, but it's gruesome, and the stakes are real, and that's all you really need, and it's it's amusing enough, and the characters are likable. I think... The performances are really good. I think so, too. Up and down the cast. Plus, this cannot be overstated. Really cool poster design. I was going to say, I, I was going to bring that up at the top of the show. It's recognizable. Like I, You'd know it, even though you might not know what the movie is, but you'd recognize it. Now, did you get far enough into the You're So Cool Brewster documentary to where they talk about that face and the design? Uh-uh. That painting that became the poster is based off of that face that Amy has at the end of the movie. Okay, yeah. Which she has only for the very end. Mm-hmm. Now, it's kind of a weird story, which would have got them in trouble if they would have got caught because it kind of went against union rules and stuff. But basically, they didn't have any more money. And Holland just asked one of the effects guys, the, the creature people, to make a shark mouth for free, basically. And he okay. was like, all right. And he's like, I need it by Tuesday. And so he just cobbled something together real quick. It's not that great looking. He wasn't like super proud of it. It doesn't move, if you notice. Mm -hmm. They kind of try to hide it, but it's basically just a static mask. There's not like her mouth moves or anything. But he threw it together just randomly. had no idea what it was going to be or anything, you know. And then it becomes the poster and like the main thing of the (laughs) whole movie out of nowhere. And it is cool and memorable. And it was kind of a last-minute thing where Holland was like, oh, when she turns around to Charlie, it needs to be terrifying, so we need to come up with something else. So he just asked for a shark mouth. Wow. (laughs) Picture's really cool. It's that face, but then it's like, I don't know, in mist or smoke or something, like over the house. Yeah, they kind of did something similar with Return of the Living Dead Part 2, which is really weird. That is. I don't know if it's supposed to be like a straight parody of it or what, but... It is very similar. Yeah, because Return of the Living Dead 1 doesn't have any anything like that, so I don't yeah. know where that even comes from, but I've never seen 2, actually. I've only seen 1 and 3. Uh, don't I have 2 because you gave me a copy of it? Or is that... No, Night of the no, Living Dead 2? I think that's 1. Oh, okay. <laughs> who knows? There's a lot of Living Deads out there. Yeah, who knows what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Much like 1985's other teen vampire comedy horror hybrid Once Bitten, which we recently covered, Fright Night begins with teenage sexual frustration. 17-year-old Charlie Brewster, played by William Ragsdale, 
really wants to take the next step physically with his girlfriend Amy, played by Amanda Burse, who people would maybe know as Marcy Darcy from Married with Children. She also is in a favorite of mine, Fraternity of Vacation, which she openly shits on for no reason <laughs> in the You're So Cool Brewster documentary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Featuring a, a couple cast members from that uh, yeah. film. It's a weird reunion, too. Yeah. They were working together on one movie, and then they're like, what are you doing next? And they're both doing this. Right night. But she's a little reluctant. Ultimately, she is actually DTF, but it yeah. takes a minute to get there. There's some awkwardness. The film opens with Amy and Charlie making out in his bedroom while watching a horror television program called Fright Night, hosted by former movie vampire hunter Peter Vincent, played by Roddy McDowell. Great character. He is a great character, and we're going to talk about him in a second. But I did like how they made the little fort area next to the bed. Yeah. That seems like very relatable. For I was going to say it, r- it rang true. Is it because of her, like not wanting to lay on his bed, so he's come up with some a workaround? I don't know. I just feel like that was things that you did. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know why, but because you always felt like you were tricking the girl yeah. into doing something. I don't <laughs> know. Yeah, it like... sounds terrible, but you know what I mean. It know. was all some sort of a game to be. Well, we're not in bed together, but we got to be comfortable. Well, while even we beyond study. that, though, I can't. I mean, I can remember just like, oh, we could lay in my bed and watch a movie, or we could go downstairs and instead of laying on the couch, I'll like lay something across the floor. And yeah. we'll, I don't know why that was a thing, but which well, is weird because his bed is kind of up against the wall, but there's yeah. a little space there, and it's like tucked in. I will say that does seem like it'd be a little claustrophobic. Well, I was wondering, okay, at first maybe it was for her benefit, like she's a little afraid of laying in the bed together, yeah. so he's created this workaround. Or maybe the mom comes in, that's an extra 30 seconds almost, 15 seconds. Yeah, right. Hurry up and Even though put your w- boobs away. It would whatever. be heavily suspect. Well, yeah, but yeah. it's a whole other level to have your mom see your hard dick yeah. <laughs> than to not see it <laughs> okay. and yeah. only be aware well, of it. Well, when you put it like that, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but his mom, and I'll mention this later, she doesn't really seem like she wants to deal with this at all. No. The reality of her son becoming a man and wanting sex. I think she's just okay with keeping that separate. Yeah, she's a single mom. Now, she does talk about having a dream where she's naked to her son. I know, that was wild to me. Yeah, that really jumped out. Especially since his mom was kind of (laughs) cute. (laughs) Yeah. But, I don't know. He's got a Playboy, like, centerfold opened up at one point, just laying on the floor of his bedroom. Well, he's the man of the house. I guess, but yeah. do you want your mom to see that? But I'm no. guessing maybe she doesn't come in the room. Let's be honest. He's not she opens that it. bedroom door, it's a wall of cum smell and oh, farts. No. Oh, no. You know? Yeah. That's what it is. I'm sure. You don't want to deal with it as a mom. We all thought we were sly back in the day, but our moms probably knew. It was horrifying. Yikes. They just have to put it out of their heads. What's going on in those <laughs> oh, socks? Okay. Why is there so many Kleenexes in here? Does he have a cold? What's yeah. going on? <laughs> no, it's weird. This movie actually did make me think about a lot of that stuff because this dude's bringing chicks up to his bedroom trying to nail them. His mom's just sitting downstairs saying things like, did you guys have a lover's spat? <laughs> Yikes, like, yeah. What? It's a little too comfortable. <laughs> yeah, I think so. William Ragsdale had auditioned to portray Rocky Dennis in Mask but he lost the role to Eric Stoltz. Casting director Jackie Birch remembered his audition, though, and thought he would be right to portray Charlie Brewster. 
Ragsdale auditioned several times and ultimately received the news that he landed the part on Halloween night, 1984, beating out several other future stars like Charlie Sheen, who was deemed too heroic. (laughs) Too good looking. Yeah. Yeah. He does seem like too much of a star. There's definitely like a more understated quality to this gentleman. Well, the phrase that Holland himself uses is next door, girl next yeah, door, right. boy next door. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, everybody's next door to somebody. Yeah. Everybody's a boy or a girl next door. What right. does that mean? <laughs> no, I get it, but it is funny how guys like to use that term about girls all the time, which is good and positive, but it also kind of feels like... It kind of seems like a little bit of a dig, too. Yeah. I still think you're hot, even though you're not that hot. That's what it kind of sounds like to me. Yeah. Like, I'm still attracted to you, which you should consider a favor because you're not exactly a model. Is kind of what it sounds like. <laughs> I, well, I don't know. Maybe, I think maybe a what, little what bit is, of... Well, when you say somebody look like the girl next door look, that automatically rules out girls that you would see. You're not Giselle Bunchton. Yeah. Right. That, to me, you're qualifying their beauty in some way. Okay. But maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't know. This is how I I've think always that Maybe there it. was just like a little bit of like mystique and innocence to it and not the girl that's out. So it's more of like a lifestyle thing than a looks thing. I, I think maybe, yeah, a little bit. That's the way I think about it. Yeah, you might be right. Maybe I'm wrong. But I do kind of get that there's an implied, well, you're not all that <laughs> to it. You're not the hottest yeah. girl I've ever seen. Right. So calm down. <laughs> but I am attracted to you. <laughs> Ragsdale injured his foot running down a staircase during the last shot filmed on Christmas Eve of 84 just three weeks into principal photography, which severely impacted the rest of filming. A lot of the action sequences had to be postponed and whatnot to stay on schedule. Amanda Burse was cast because, as I said, she had the ultimate girl-next-door energy, according to Holland. Although the part of Peter Vincent was based upon and originally written for Vincent Price to play, Roddy McDowell decided Peter Vincent was not in the same league as Price. My part is that of an old ham actor. I mean a dreadful actor, McDowell commented (laughs) in a 1985 interview with Monsterland magazine. Okay. Before the internet, are they hiring right now, by the way? Yeah. Was nuts. Yeah. There were so many magazines, so many about any topic. Even the old radio show world that was out there that used to exist. You could just pick up these stations driving through areas where there would be like people doing monster midnight monster radio. Yeah. It's yeah. Just, what a they, world. Well, some of that's probably still out there somewhere, okay, but a lot of it is probably online. Yeah. He had a moderate success in an isolated film here and there, but all very bad product. Basically, he played one character for eight or ten films, for which he probably got paid next to nothing, unlike stars of horror films who are very good actors and played lots of different roles, such as Peter Lorre and Vincent Price. That is true. This or guy, Boris Karloff. Peter Vincent, he's living in just an apartment. Yeah. You know. This poor son of a bitch just played the same character all the time, which was awful. I think that Roddy McDowell, of course, who, who we somehow blanked a little bit on when we did Overboard all those years ago, but obviously he's been around forever and knew a lot of people and was one of those guys that socialized with all eras of Hollywood, and I think he was very aware of framing this in a way where he wanted to make sure that people didn't think he was mocking them, because as Tom Holland reveals in the documentary... Oh, who inspired him? He met Vincent Price at 
Roddy McDowell's house. Okay, yeah. Because Roddy McDowell would have these dinner parties every week with lots of famous people throughout time. And so obviously Roddy McDowell knew people like Vincent Price. And he wanted to be clear that he didn't want to be coming off as a joke like they were making fun of him or anything like that. And I understand that. And it's I think Roddy McDowell seems like a very nice man and everybody really totally. loved him. And I get it. But this movie is very lighthearted and sweet. And I think that the character of Peter Vincent, who is named after Peter Cushing and Vincent Price, is very clearly an homage, a loving homage. I think this whole movie is a loving homage to those old school vampire movies, to the monster movies of the time. And that's why the movie is fun. And that's why people like it. It comes from that place of loving movies, like we said. McDowell was particularly interested in the genesis of the character. In the film, I perform as being in my late 20s or early 30s in the film clips of my old movies all the way up to my 60s when I'm the washed-up has-been. McDowell adding that the role interested him because I'd never played anything that old. Holland and McDowell built a lasting friendship, and McDowell eventually invited Holland to a dinner party where he introduced him to Vincent Price. Hell yeah. Who said he was flattered that the part was an homage to him and commented that the film was wonderful and he thought Roddy did a wonderful job, which I interpreted to mean I've never seen it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be my guess. Man, what a life this would be, though. I'd love to be like going to those dinner parties. It definitely seemed like Roddy McDowell was of an era that did that. And yeah. I don't know how much that old school Hollywood mentality is anymore because now people are so worried about their image. They're so worried about being cool there's so many stars that probably wouldn't it's give true. a shit about associating with the modern day equivalent of yeah. Vincent Price and everything's just yeah because you are on all the time now whereas before in that era in any level of celebrity it, you had plenty of time to shut it off yeah and just kind of be normal people <laughs> and there would be the expectation that whatever happened at these kind of get-togethers be it crazy or not just even just anything oh so and so has an illness, but he's keeping it a secret. You know, those kind of yeah. things. Everything was a secret. The, the expectation was whatever happened was staying in right, wherever right. you were. But now that would never happen. Totally. And obviously people abused that kind of mindset. I'm not saying that that's always good. We know that Hollywood can't be trusted yeah. for that kind of stuff. It's just a different time. I just don't think that people can have that kind of lifestyle of get-togethers every week with a varying cast of famous people. And wouldn't you know it, it's the same old story. Right when the girl, Amy, is about to give it up, Charlie is distracted by his new next-door neighbors, two men carrying what appears to be a coffin into their cellar. Yeah, that old story. (laughs) Carrying a coffin. Well, it is reminiscent of the Burbs, which would come out a few years later. True. Amy, who is seeing this moment as potentially a big moment in her young life, she's basically ready to give up her virginity, is now completely dismayed by charlie's wandering eye and split attention and seeming lack of interest in her body as she's removing a little bit of her clothing yeah there was definitely about to be a big moment this is very real too because i think we know that guys are completely oblivious to things totally just not grasping anything (laughs) not grasping that he's having a chance to finally lose his virginity right and also not grasping oh this is kind of like a big moment maybe i should at least acknowledge her in some way even if i do think something major is happening but you know she gets mad 
she goes downstairs she's leaving in a huff the mom is overhearing their conversation whenever amy's just yelling things like i don't understand you wanted to make love and now you don't want to make love and the mom's like <laughs> sitting right oh, there oh no mortifying I, I just wrote hot single mom yeah kind of wild that i would write that but also not a surprise i was getting some hot single mom vibes <laughs> she's also thirsty af which i also appreciated yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was also liking this part in the uh, remake with Tony Collette as the mom. Yeah. The remake does have a crazy cast. We'll, we'll talk about yeah. that at the end. I kind of thought these guys might be house flippers. This was like their own HGTV program. <laughs> vampires that come in and they flip a house. <laughs> <laughs> Make it ready for vampires. <laughs> There's actually a funny episode of what we do in the shadows that has a house flipping element to oh. it. Or a home improvement HGTV type show with the Sklar brothers, of all people. Okay. On the news, though, we're hearing reports of local murder. Obviously, Charlie's brain is going on overdrive. Murders happening in this small Iowan town, which, yes, supposedly this is supposed to be Iowa. That may be the most shocking reveal. Yeah, especially when they get into the downtown area and you're like, oh, yeah, this looks like every movie they've ever filmed in L.A. in the 80s. Right, even... The street lights on the street are very L.A. They're passing Dodger Stadium. (laughs) Stephen Jeffries as Evil Ed. He's also in Fraternity Vacation with Amanda Bierce. I love that he already has the nickname Evil Ed, and that's never explained. I think that's fun. And sometimes they just drop the Ed, just evil. Yeah. (laughs) Imagine you're walking around and that's what everyone calls you. Well, I think that... Jeffries seemed pretty hurt by that. Yeah. Because he thought he was auditioning for Brewster, Charlie Oof. Brewster. And yeah. then they wanted him for this part, and he was like, what do you guys see in me? But I was like, well, do you own a mirror? Yeah. That's what they see. That you're sort of the weird, slightly unappealing <laughs> Is this our friend. meanest run? No, I actually yeah. like this guy. Me too. He's in 976 Evil playing basically oh, yeah. a very similar character to this, directed by... Robert Englund, Freddy Krueger himself, and he's funny as the comedic guy in Fraternity Vacation. I think he has a distinct look and a distinct voice that fits to be like a character. In the 80s. Yeah. He's definitely not quite Anthony Michael Hall. Right. But that was who he was mistaken for in an audition, and then that's what led to him getting this part, basically. But I joke about the look. If anything, it's more like distinct. The voice is a little grating. Yeah, but I also think that's what makes him stand out, and I think that's what got him cast, honestly, is because he delivers lines in a very crazy way sometimes. And I don't know that that's always written on the page. It seems like it might be because it's so weird, but I was getting the impression that that's what he was bringing to it. Mm -hmm. Some of him laughing during crazy things or evil-sounding things or whatever. All I could write was, are he and Charlie actually friends? It doesn't really seem like it. They don't seem to like each other at all. I know, and it's a little, like, Charlie seems like a nice enough guy, good-looking enough, that it feels like there would be more out there for him in the social world. Yeah, than evil. Yeah. Yeah. I know that he's a self-proclaimed horror nerd and everything, but there's more to it than just that. Well, that's what I was wondering, if we're supposed to get the idea that maybe they were childhood friends who had grown apart, but he's turning to him because of some thing in in the past i don't know that i do buy that dynamic i don't know i've never really explored any deleted scenes i don't really think there's much i do have some stuff that we can get into later that the novelization provides more details on but 
I know that novelizations are fun and they're definitely a relic of that time. I just bought the Halloween 3 one for $45 right. because it's out of print and I've always wanted it. But um, I don't know that I count that stuff as canon yeah. because I don't think Tom Holland is sitting there approving that. They're just adding more detail to flesh out a, a shitty little novel. Yeah. You know, okay. I don't think that stuff is necessarily true to the movie. Right. But I don't know. It definitely doesn't seem like they're on the same level anymore because Charlie's about to close the deal with oh, yeah. a live human girl. Girlfriend in the mix. Evil seems like the type of guy who's already got a sock collection named after girls in his class. <laughs> I don't think he's even remotely close yeah. to touching a woman. That I, doesn't it, seem like no. that's ever going to happen. It doesn't seem to be in the foreseeable future. I would say not until at least post high school. And even then, yeah. we're talking about an escort situation. <laughs> the strange activity continues next door the very next afternoon. Charlie spots a beautiful blonde woman arriving by cab, played by Heidi Sorensen, a Playboy playmate. Then while studying that night, Charlie hears a scream through his open window, and then the lights in the neighbor's house go out. But it's when Amy tracks him down to make up when things are taken up a notch. The blonde woman he saw go into the house next door has been found murdered. And the news, as indelicate as ever, says, known prostitute. Oh, no. <laughs> Imagine they said that on the news now. Yeah. People would be losing their minds. <laughs> Known prostitutes. (laughs) I did like that William Ragsdale on the dock when reminiscing about doing a scene with Heidi Sorensen just pauses and just says, hot. (laughs) Which, It was memorable for him. If I was doing a scene at that age with a Playboy Playmate, I would still be saying that 30 years later. (laughs) That would be a moment. Charlie, are you listening to me? The badly mutilated corpse was found under the North Creek Bridge by the old mill. As yet, Charlie, the police have no leads. But you would have heard on the police band last night? That wasn't the only murder. The second in two days. And get this. Both of them had their heads chopped off. <laughs> Can you believe it? You're sick. <laughs> Charlie? <laughs> oh, you're so cool, Brewster. <laughs> I can't stand it. Because Amy's trying to make up with him right at this moment that he's realizing that this woman that he saw got murdered, he's once again distracted, which upsets Amy once again, and she sp- smashes a hamburger in his face, which leads to evil Ed saying the iconic line of the movie, you're so cool, Brewster, (laughs) and then laughing like a maniac. I know, that could almost be an alternate title. Well, it's the title of the doc. That's true. Which we keep referencing. I will say that it's always a positive thing when we're covering a movie on the podcast and there's a plethora of information. I'm never going to complain about it because it's way better than when there's nothing. Totally. But Otherwise, it's just us speculating. This is way too much information for this a three-and-a-half-hour-long well, documentary that, of course, everyone took every tidbit and then put that online. Yeah. Like, it's really fucking crucial. <laughs> so you had said to me to try to watch it, you know. And I had no idea how right. long it was. I, I put it on, and I got, like, a half hour, 40 minutes into it, and I paused just to check the, where I'm at on the timeline. I'm like, this is, like, three hours long? 
I didn't even hit pause. Did it have a timeline? I didn't even. I didn't I, I got to it one. I, like I was fast forwarding or something. Like you can do it. I just checked on IMDb at a certain point. I fell off the couch because I couldn't believe it. And I do think that it is this way with all movies and all actors, but how much backstory they're building into their characters. Well, that was a how, big part of yeah. the Fright Night experience. Yeah. yeah. They they all build a backstory yeah. for their character. Yeah. And they got all that rehearsal time. It was like a very actor-friendly for sure. set and situation. It was a first-time director, and there wasn't a lot of studio interference. And it just was a very favorable situation. They yep. just had the time and the budget to do what they needed to do. And I do think it, it, it makes the movie so much better. And you can feel that in the movie. And I love when I love a movie and yeah. then you find out that the cast had a great time. Totally. They all like each other. That's always awesome. I love that. And I love that there's a cult following and that people care about this movie. But Jesus Christ, the yeah. movie is an hour and 45 minutes. It doesn't need <laughs> right. a three hour and 37 minute documentary <laughs> going over every single tidbit that happened during the shoot. I know. I mean, Jesus There Christ. was very unmemorable anecdotes being shared. <laughs> Some fun information, too. Yeah. But it could have been at most, at most, a 90 minute documentary. Right. And that would have been long yeah but jesus but whatever that's what ends up happening with these things these fan-made oh, kind of documentaries like i watch those in search of darkness ones that are endless about the <laughs> yeah. 80s horror things and then the, like i said to you the nightmare on elm street one and the friday the 13th one are both five and a half hours although those cover the whole franchises not just one movie after being warned by one of the men to stay away so there is a guy that walks around during the day. Yeah. Another man that is there. Figuring out his whole deal is its own Oh, that's part of the journey. fun with this movie. Because yeah. people don't really know what he's supposed to right. be. Yeah. Charlie retreats back home but continues to spy. He falls asleep with the TV on but is awakened sometime in the night to see a beautiful woman removing her clothing through the window in the house next door. Almost a little surprising. It feels like it's being done at him. Right. Like, it's so deliberately in the window. <laughs> yeah. Every time I watch it, it's odd to me that there's actually a locking of eyes between <laughs> our two characters here. Yeah. It seems too far away. Well, they really want you to know that the vampire understands that this kid is aware that he's a vampire. Right. That's the whole thing that's going to have to happen and play out. They could have done it where the vampire doesn't know. And it's only the kid trying to convince other people. Yeah. But it, I think it's kind of a fun wrinkle that changes it from the rear window thing, where he's now interacting with the person that he's overseeing. Every time I watch the movie, all I can think is, I can't believe how beautiful this woman is in the window. <laughs> it's unbelievable. A shirtless man approaches, played by Chris Sarandon, and he reveals his fangs. Yes. But before he bites the woman's neck, he notices Charlie watching and pulls down the shade. You also get a look at his fingernails, clearly. Yeah, something is not right here. Weird. Yeah. I don't know why vampires can't trim their nails to fit in with society. Is that something that we just don't understand, or do they need those nails? Well, I think they have normal nails at certain points, but depending on the state of arousal that they're in. <laughs> oh, so like they're finger boners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of our favorite tropes in horror is repeated here. The no one believes in me. He's now seen definitive proof that not only did he see a coffin go in, and he saw a woman who was murdered go in. Now he's seeing fangs, clearly a vampire. But how do you convince people 
Sarandon was initially reluctant to do horror because he had a bad experience in the 70s making the film The Sentinel. Mm. But he loved the script, and he developed a great rapport with Tom Holland. They became good friends. I think Sarandon is yeah. in Child's Play as well. And I think they may have worked together other times. I'm, I'm not sure on which projects. And I think Sarandon is so good in this. Yeah. I think he was a little afraid at certain points in his career of being typecast because he plays the villain in Princess Bride too. after this. Right. But he's so good at that specific kind of villain. Yeah. Where there's like, a little bit of comedy to it. A little bit douchey, a little bit stuffy, but still charm. There's charm, but also a goofy yeah. comedic. Like right. You're almost goofing on him, but he's also charming and handsome yes, too. Yes, exactly. It was... Sarandon's idea to have Jerry eating apples throughout the film while researching vampire lore Sarandon looked at information about bats and concluded Jerry had a lot of fruit bat in his DNA which does contradict other vampire stuff where they can't eat anything except blood but considering the tone of this movie sure. I think it's yeah. fine to And that's one of the things that, that I think is fun when they will just introduce something that's like counter to what you know of vampires. Yeah, usually with a lot of these more modern takes, they're always saying, oh, this one thing, oh, that's yeah. just from the movie. Right, but then yeah. all the other rules still apply. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> like, how could you think right, that? That's Are what you I an mean. Idiot? It's become part of the trope, is there's always one. It's either garlic or the mirror or yeah, something. They're like, yeah, they're like, what are you, some sort of fucking idiot? You horse's ass. You <laughs> yeah. thought garlic was going to stop this vampire? What is this, a movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah, but they can't come inside unless you invite them right. in or they. D- explode and you're like okay <laughs> yeah thanks <laughs> of course charlie's mother and amy do not believe him so he contacts the authorities leaving out the vampire part and just focusing on the murdered woman that's enough to get detective lennox interested who goes with charlie to his neighbor's house looking to question the owner but instead of meeting Jerry Dandridge, the supposed vampire, they meet his roommate, quote-unquote, Billy, <laughs> yeah. instead. Billy tells them Jerry is, quote, away on business, but then Charlie reveals his suspicions about Jerry's vampirism, which infuriates Detective Lennox, who leaves. Okay, so I know this is a movie, and we can't get too distracted by things like this, but really, you're bringing a teenager along to question someone who might be a murder suspect what i know plus okay let's say that they are the murderer you're revealing to the murderer who informed on them what maybe not the best police work you've ever seen come on iowa detective (laughs) iowa the other thing that's introduced which is of course a tie back to the original dracula is the portrait in the home resembling amy which will come up later it's a whole thing with this movie that I don't really get, but we'll get there later. I know. That part, I feel like it it can only be for comedy <laughs> and just like a nod. Well, that's not even what I mean. It's that they act like Chris Sarandon just came up with this, and oh. they never mention really that it's the exact same thing from Dracula. They're never like, oh, he wanted oh, to do oh, this I part from Dracula, yeah, right. so he, he has this connection to the long-lost love. They're just like oh, Chris Sarandon wanted to add this to his character to make him seem less like a villain. Huh. And he got it from Dracula, they never say. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know, it's very weird. On the documentary and in all the research, they seem to acknowledge that there's similarities to Dracula. But they don't call out the portrait thing? No, they act like he came up with this whole thing about her resembling the long-lost love. And I'm oh, like, wow. No, he didn't. He, yeah. They're ju- you're just doing a thing from Dracula. I don't know. 
I think they mean that he wanted to include that from Dracula, but they never actually say it that way, I guess is what I mean. I it's don't like, know. And I've crossed oceans of oh, time. Oh, you're ruining jokes that I have. <laughs> oh. <laughs> In front of the, the police, Billy is very openly messing with Charlie. A lot of jovial reactions. It's all very fun and games. Most viewers conclude that Billy was some kind of ghoul or possibly a half-vampire who hasn't yet been fully formed. Another possibility is that he is a golem made by Dandridge from sand and other matter in order to serve as his protector. That obviously comes when Billy is killed and you see him turn into goo and sand. Right. To me, he's not a vampire because what happens to him is different. And he goes around during the day and stuff. I think because initially everyone's assumption is that he's Renfield. He's the familiar. Right. He's the kid in what we do in the shadows. He's the human that helps the vampire. But by the end of the movie, we know that that's not accurate because he's not a human. The character may be based upon the character Willie Loomis from Dark Shadows. They were both handlers of their respective vampires, but like we said, there's a little bit more to it. There's like an added layer. The handler of the vampire thing always reminds me of Richard Jenkins and yeah let me in right. which is just the most Creep. disturbing yeah. fucked up thing and then there's that scene where he's in the back seat of the car and oh and then he pours acid on his face. oh that's awful <laughs> that's a rare case and maybe this is going to come up later this month but that's a rare case where i think the the remake is as good as the original i know everyone I like loves them both yeah let let the right one in and the let the right one in is awesome but yeah let me in is awesome too i think They're so both yeah, really good right. i agree regardless of whatever Billy is there's definitely a lot of homoeroticism which is played up a few times in the movie so it does seem as if he may be bisexual this vampire but this was a time where you didn't really go into that in mainstream movies but there's definitely like an implication of something I just think they're all vampires are hypersexual (laughs) yeah Charlie's next idea is to go to evil ed for advice but I was thinking, it's sort of a weird scene, though, because shouldn't Charlie, the Fright Night superfan, already know how to handle vampires? Like, why does he need Evil Ed to tell him this stuff? I don't know. It's kind of an extra scene that seems That's like true. we're just trying to rope Evil Ed back into it. Yeah. And to what do I owe this dubious pleasure? The vampire knows I know about him. Or at least he will when he wakes up tonight. (laughs) What are you talking about? I have a vampire living next door to me, and he's going to kill me if I don't protect myself. (laughs) What? Come on, Evil, I haven't got time to explain. Just tell me what to do to protect myself. Very funny, Brewster. Evil, please, I'm not kidding. Just tell me what to do. Don't call me Evil anymore. Should I help you anyway? Look, look, I've got eight bucks. You help me, and and, and it's yours. Uh, well, far be it from me to turn down a fool's money. <laughs> uh, now, where and when do you expect the vampire to attack? In my bedroom tonight. Okay. Uh, start with this. You must have total faith in it for it to work. Then get some garlic, links of the stuff you can wear around your neck and hang from your window. If he comes for you, 
That'll be the way. Then, oh, of course, there's holy water. <laughs> but uh, you, you got to get a priest to say a blessing over it first. <laughs> That's it? I'm afraid so. But your best protection right now, Charles, is that a vampire cannot enter your house without being invited by the rightful owner first. Are you sure about that? Positive. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. Leave it to Charlie's mom to invite Jerry into the house. <laughs> mom, you idiot. Just having a horny mom. That is a hilarious element, though, because, well, I'm safe because he can't come in unless invited in. <laughs> His mom's, like, literally waving her ass out the window, like, come on, new neighbor. God, I would love to move next door to this mom. <laughs> she seems like fun. Constantly asking if she needs anything fixed. Do you have any weird dreams about being nude? <laughs> I can stand to <laughs> hear about it. you want to tell your son yeah. about for some reason? <laughs> yeah, it's weird because in the last episode, Starship Troopers, I recommended going all the way. And there's mm -hmm. definitely some weird mother-son stuff in that movie. Oh, and good. I wouldn't say that this movie rises to that at all, but... Her telling him about the dream is weird. Yeah. Stark naked. And she does seem like very comfortable with her teenage son just boning upstairs, which, you know, some parents maybe just kind of accept it, although probably less so in the 80s. You would think during the height of AIDS panic, though, that she would at least say something about wearing a Are you condom being careful? Yeah. We don't want some little mistake running around. <laughs> <laughs> Are you really going to marry Amy Peterson? It's like the uh, mom in Boogie Nights. She's <laughs> a little whore and a little piece of trash. <laughs> oh, God. I think if there's one thing Amy is not, it's a whore. No, I know. <laughs> but from the mom's perspective. Well, yeah. Yeah. So now that Jerry's officially been invited inside the Brewster home by its true owner, he is able to come and go as he pleases, which doesn't register as anything to Mrs. Brewster, but Charlie knows the dark truth. That very night, in fact, Jerry appears in Mrs. Brewster's bedroom. This is sort of a weird moment. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't even pick up on it. The crew spent a lot of time and money composing the scene where Jerry walks through Mrs. Brewster's bedroom and casts no reflection in the mirror. But as Tom Holland puts it, it doesn't work because the audience never notices it because it isn't really framed right. I, yeah. If you didn't even know, you that might completely trying. miss it. I think most people do because it's not the center of the frame. You're not thinking to look there necessarily. Mm -hmm. And it's at an angle where you may even think, oh, it's just because we're at a weird angle. Even though you would see it, but you may, your mind might go to, it's not yeah. dead on. So you might not notice that there's no reflection, but whatever. doesn't matter it's because the egg. no reflection bit comes up later anyway. Yeah. But Jerry is there for Charlie, not his mother. Jerry offers Charlie a simple choice, ignore his vampiric activities or else. Charlie refuses, brandishing a crucifix at Jerry. When Jerry tries to push him out the window to his death, Charlie stabs Jerry's hand with a pencil. In a very mature move, Jerry mm -hmm. resorts to destroying Charlie's car in retaliation and then threatens Charlie over the phone. <laughs> I sort of... It is a weird moment, though, where if you're Charlie, I mean, the stakes are now pretty high. You're engaged in a some sort of a combat situation with a vampire yeah, who can come and go from your house. And for some reason... He doesn't kill you. 
and offers you a truce, basically. Yeah. Charlie has a moment here where he can get out of this. Right, yeah. Some people have pointed that out, that there are plenty of opportunities for Jerry just to kill Charlie yeah. if he never wants to. And they've just sort of attributed that to being that Jerry is a vampire by nature, not by choice, that he has to do what he has to do, but he's not without any humanity. Yeah. Which is why well, the they evil introduced scene. the... Yeah, the yeah. evil scene, He it seems like this mercy thing, and then also they introduced the story with Amy being his long-lost right. love, which humanizes him, and then the idea is, I guess, that he wouldn't just kill a kid. I was also thinking there may be some practical reasons. You know, he's got to move around. Yeah, if he, he doesn't want to do like next door, unnecessary then, yeah. deaths. Yeah. Right, so there is that too. Yeah, so maybe he wouldn't kill a kid, but also it would draw a lot of unnecessary attention. Yeah. Because even though there does seem to be some hypnotizing later it's not as like developed like he can just glamour the police or whatever the terminology would be but i'm just a little bit surprised in this moment because somebody needs to shake charlie and be like this is a pretty good deal you're being offered here well he doesn't want any more known prostitutes yeah. to be murdered <laughs> that's a good point that woman was so stunning that he needed to just become yeah, a hero it's a revenge yeah but yeah, it's sort of a weak ass move by a vampire to be like, I'm gonna fuck up your car and then call you. I don't yeah, know. that's true. Kind of lame. But I guess it's funny. It's it's right. supposed to be goofy. Jerry is whistling Strangers in the Night when he enters Ah uh, yes. The bedroom. They actually wanted Whistle While You Work, but Disney wouldn't clear it. Oh wow. <laughs> I like the monstrous transformation. I like that he goes from being kind of a cool regular guy, but then when he's actually a vampire, it is like thriller. It's right. gross. Yeah. He kind of looks like a zombie vampire, something like that almost. Yeah. A lot of the transformation effects look cool in this movie. Oh, yeah. Great practical yeah. effects. Everything looks really fun and cool. There's some stuff that reminds you of a lot of the other cool movies of the 80s with practical effects, and we'll, we'll maybe shout some of those out. But it also feels like its own thing, too. It's got a lot of different stuff mixed in. A lot of fun ideas, including the shark mouth thing that oh, ended yeah, up the right. poster and just different stuff. If you pay attention, you can hear the mom referencing that she's going to start the night shift the next night. So that explains why she's not around later when shit goes down. I like how they shoot the telephone call, even though I think it's kind of weird for a vampire to call on the phone to threaten somebody. The way they do that zoom, it's almost yeah. like Jaws or something. Like <laughs> right. that move. The vertigo effect. Not knowing what else to do, Charlie turns to his TV hero, Peter Vincent, for help. But of course, Peter initially dismisses Charlie as an obsessed fan. This whole idea reminded me a lot of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in the sense that as a writer-director, Tarantino is turning to a TV cowboy and a stuntman, the people he thinks are cool heroes, and in this like meta way takes them off of the screen. Right and brings them into a situation where they have to be heroic, even though they don't know that, because we know history and we know what happens to Sharon Tate. But from our perspective, he's taking them and yes. making them the heroes. And this is kind of the same thing, and it's it's a really cool idea. And it's one of the genius things that stands out to me about Fright Night. It's a great idea. Take this guy who, to a very small audience, is this big hero but in reality is not. Right. And make him the hero. Pull him off the, the movie screen, the television screen, and bring him into a real-life thing, the TV vampire hunter. Turns out that Peter's actually just been fired. <laughs> Dark and, times. 
it's signifying a changing of the times. People aren't interested in this kind of stuff anymore. The movies he made were from previous decades and they've fallen out of fashion, which I think Tom Holland saw that as very meta. He wanted to make this movie as an homage to the types of movies they didn't make anymore, the classic vampire movies. Yeah. In the aftermath of being rejected by Peter, Charlie transforms his bedroom into a cathedral of lunacy. <laughs> Garlic and lit candles everywhere, crucifixes and homemade steaks. Amy and Evil Ed arrive and are completely stunned by what they find. Yeah, what the hell? At this point, Amy is considering them broken up, but none of us are buying it. Is it like uh, out of the realm of possibility that I show up here someday and it's a similar (laughs) setup? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty good idea, except it would probably be just an ungodly amount of Blu-rays where (laughs) I've finally gone completely nuts and just bought everything I could think of. (laughs) Now you're saying, oh, you're not not at that point yet? It seems like you might be at that point. Yeah, based on how many times you're like doubling up on things. Yeah. What are you doing here? Me? What about you? I thought you just dumped him. What I'm doing here is none of your business. Oh, so you do like him. Anybody home? Hi. Wow. What's all this for? Self-defense. Not that I think I'll need it. He'll be dead before nightfall. Who will be? Dandridge. I'm waiting for the guy he lives with to leave, and then I'm gonna go next door and find his coffin and pound this to his heart. That's murder, Charlie. You can't murder a vampire, Amy. You're dead. Remember? Listen. Listen, I just taped this. Amy, what are we going to do? This is just like Fright Night. Now for the 2 o'clock news. Another body of a young woman was discovered early this morning in back of the Sheridan Mall. You see that? I don't have any choice. Somebody has to stop him. Charlie, it's, it's going to be dangerous going into that house all alone, isn't it? I mean, you're going to need all the help you can get, right? Somebody like Peter Vincent, for instance? Yeah. I tried him already. Well, why don't you let us try again before you do anything? There's not enough time, Amy. Well, what happens if you go into that house alone and he gets you? Who's going to stop him then? Yeah, then he'll be able to suck his way through the entire town. Not that it would be much of a loss. Charlie, it's going to be dark soon. You don't want to go into that house then, do you? No. No, you're right there. All right, try him again. Great. Now, you promise you're not going to do anything till you hear from us, okay? Okay. Come on. Amy, you don't believe me, do you? I love you, Charlie. Amy, fearing for Charlie's sanity, takes Evil Ed and goes to see Peter Vincent for herself. It turns out that Peter's recent job loss is just the tip of the iceberg. He's also being evicted from his apartment. This allows for a scenario where Amy is able to hire Peter 
to help prove to Charlie that Jerry is not, in fact, a vampire. This is such a well-crafted character. I cannot compliment that enough, this Peter Vincent character. I know. You just set it up in a way with the right actor, and you get it immediately. This guy was a small-time actor who had a little tiny bit of success. He's local to their area for some reason. And he does this sad little local TV hosting gig that he's gotten fired from. He lives in a small apartment that he can't even afford. And now he's lost his job. 100% born in the wrong era. He would have been completely fine just like signing autographs at cons. Oh, dude, yeah. It's the same thing. I wrote no Shutter revival. (laughs) Like Elvira and Joe Bob getting stuff on there. No horror con circuit yet. No OnlyFans. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote parentheses, OnlyFangs. <laughs> no internet to get a, a fan base together. Yeah. So, yeah, it definitely is a, a tougher era. I think there are huge Hollywood legends that were some of the biggest actors and actresses of their time that went through the sad last stage because there wasn't as much money back right. then. And it gets cruel for old people, not just in entertainment business but just in general so yeah this exact scenario that's happening to peter vincent happened to people that you've heard of that were in huge movies yep so the fact that he was never even that big of a deal you know and so this allows for this to happen you can actually buy it it's such a perfect scenario where you're like this guy would do anything for money and so he's capitalizing on a little bit of his celebrity to just go to some house and pretend like he's going to prove this guy isn't a vampire of course I get it. One of the life masks of Roddy McDowell taken for the Planet of the Apes franchise is visible in Peter Vincent's apartment. Oh. Peter and Amy literally have Evil Ed call Jerry's house to set up a big powwow. (laughs) It's an intervention. With the idea being that they'll bring Charlie along, Peter will perform some kind of test to prove Jerry isn't a vampire, and everything will be fine. On the phone, though, Jerry does shoot down any real crucifixes or crosses and real holy water, claiming those elements would be sacrilegious. <laughs> Very nonchalantly. Peter says it's really only tap water, so you don't have to worry about it, and everything is going to be fine. <laughs> well, you have to look at it from their the perspective, perspective of yeah. Peter, Amy, and Ed. Don't think vampires are real, like right. real people. So whatever this guy on the phone says is fine. It doesn't even matter. We just have to convince our idiot friend that (laughs) vampires aren't real. Come back to reality. I get it. I'm going to make a joke similar to one I made in Starship Troopers. Why go out when DoorDash will deliver? I get from the perspective of Jerry, because we were going to go out and terrorize this kid, potentially kill him because he's becoming a problem. I don't know what they were going to go do, but oh, they're coming over. So maybe we can just nip this problem in the bud right now. Yeah. Because I guess from their perspective, if they can convince him that Jerry's not actually a vampire, then... That's just as good as anything else, and they can move on. Everyone's on board, but they're all expecting different things to happen. Once inside Jerry's home, everyone goes forward with the charade of the phony holy water. Since it's tap water, the test is meaningless. But Peter discovers that Charlie is right about Jerry's true nature after glancing at his pocket mirror and noticing Jerry's lack of a reflection, causing him to accidentally drop the mirror. Peter then flees, but Jerry learns of his discovery after finding a shard of mirrored glass on the floor. Well, bottoms up. (sighs) 
<clears throat> ah, <laughs> there. Satisfied? Oh, totally. Well, now, Charlie, you saw that. Are you convinced now that Mr. Dandridge is not a vampire? It can't be. But, but, but Charlie, you saw it. Now, you know as well as I do that no vampire can drink blessed water. And it wasn't blessed. Are you calling me a liar, young man? If he's not a vampire, have him touch this. Oh, Charlie. You've made a fool of yourself once. There's no reason to compound the error. Yes, Charlie. You've already caused your friends quite enough pain. You wouldn't want to cause them any more, would you? No. No, of course not. And you're finally convinced I'm not a vampire either. Right? Yes. Well, I'm glad that's settled. I can't tell you how much I appreciate this, Mr. Vincent. You've been a great help. Not at all. Glad to be of service. It was very nice meeting both of you. Please, please feel free to drop by anytime. You'll always be welcome. I like that, Mr. Dandridge. Please call me Jerry. Come on, let's get out of here. Just a minute. That goes for you too, Ed. I expect we have a lot of the same interests, you know, in horror movies and the occult. <gasps> Something wrong, Mr. Vincent? Uh, uh, no, I just felt a, a little... Uh, oh, it... It's just my clumsiness. Are you sure? Oh, I'm, I'm positive. Oh, look, we have been taking up much too much of your time. Thank you so much. For, for, uh, come along now, everybody. Uh, oh, you are. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Nothing. And why are you shaking? I, I'm not shaking. You saw something in there, didn't you? You saw something that convinced you he was a vampire. Of course not. Please, Mr. Vincent, you have to tell me. Our lives depend on that. All right. He didn't cast a reflection in my mirror. Satisfied now? Mr. Vincent, you have to call the police. Mr. Vincent, shit! So, inviting all of these humans into your vampire lair actually backfired because now even more people know that you're a vampire. <laughs> Probably should have just killed the kid. Yeah, really. Lesson here. Jerry does get a look at Amy, as Matt already alluded to. This did feel like Oceans of Time. <laughs> In case you didn't pick up on it, let's go through it real quick. Fright Night can be viewed as a modern retelling of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Charlie yeah. is the stand-in for John Harker. Amy is Mina. Ed is Lucy. Billy as Renfield, Peter Vincent as Van Helsing, and Jerry Dandridge as Dracula. A main plot point is Charlie seeing an old painting in Jerry's house that looks like Amy. Then when Jerry sees Amy, he is reminded of his long-lost love, which is also how the Count sees Mina. So in case you didn't pick up on the story similarities there. Got it. Looking very much like Robert Stack hosting Unsolved Mysteries, Jerry stalks Evil Ed down an empty alley. Yes. That fucking... 
You got the coat. mist going yeah, too. Yeah, it was right out of it. They must have saw this movie and when they were planning Unsolved Mysteries, yeah. which started probably only a couple years later. Let's recreate that as yep. the look. <laughs> oh man, when I was a kid, those Robert Stack sequences of Unsolved Mystery were like scarier than the episode to me. Yeah, but I wasn't scared of him. But I no, I, I just respected what he was saying so much. I wasn't scared of him. <laughs> I was scared for him. It oh. always seemed like he was. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah, I recognize right. that there's like a camera career, but I'm like, where is he? Just some dark, deserted area with mist around him. He's about to be killed. Come on, Robert Stack. He was yeah, on, I know. In, he, on the Untouchables. He would beat some ass. Even at 80 years old or however yeah. old he was on that show. I like the score of this movie. It was done Me by too. Brad Fidel, who did the Terminator movies most notably. Hmm. Similar sort of synth. Yeah, like an ominous yeah. synth. Jerry appeals to Ed's bullied nature and proceeds to turn him into a vampire, presenting it as a combination of an act of mercy and an act of empowerment. afraid of me I know what it's like being different Only they won't pick on you anymore or beat you up I'll see to that all you have to do is take my hand here Edward take my hand Thank you. 
you kind of have to fill in the blanks. We don't have a ton of time yeah. to give you character development, so we cast this guy, Stephen Jeffries. We give him this voice and this behavior. You know he's a loser. You got it. So there is sort of this sadness to the character, and the whole thing and how it plays out with him is kind of tragic until the very end when you realize that they're potentially suggesting Evil Ed lives and there's more to it with him. Yeah. But aside from that, the whole th- way it plays out for him is very sad and kind of... Agreed. Not pleasant. <laughs> yeah, it is a bummer. Next, Jerry pursues Charlie and Amy through the night streets, no longer concerned with hiding his vampirism from Amy. They duck into a hopping nightclub in order to get away. This is a movie that we, we just talked about recently, but the, the nightclub set used in Fright Night was a former hardware store near the studio, which had been renovated for the Frankie Goes to Hollywood sequence in Brian De Palma's Body Double oh. the previous year. Both films were released by Columbia Pictures. And when they go down into it, I did think, oh yeah, that is exactly that same wow. place. Because it's got those like multiple levels. Yep. And I was thinking... That was a hardware store? <laughs> I don't know, yeah. Body Devil's a cool movie, though. <laughs> one day. Yeah. One trashy summer one year. Okay, yeah. For sure. <laughs> Meanwhile, Ed pays Peter a visit, seemingly now doing Jerry's bidding, trying to attack the veteran TV vampire. However, Peter fends him off by pressing a crucifix to Ed's forehead, burning his flesh. Yeah, and it leaves a scar. One of the things that you are used to with these vampires is that healing it might be because he's so new yeah, and fresh. Yeah, I was thinking I that too. But no matter what the reasoning is, and I know that this probably drives modern fans nuts because they're all into like the lore and you know whatever, stupid garbage, <laughs> explaining everything. I actually kind of like it that it doesn't really matter what the explanation is. It's just something different. Right. You haven't really seen that, and it's a cool, memorable look. He's an ugly fucking vampire. His teeth are a disaster. They're all jagged and pointed in different directions. He's got this nasty thing on his forehead now. I know. That's cool. I want things to look different like yeah. I've never seen in other things. Even as his existence as a vampire, I'm like, I don't know if this is better for you, man. I like his dramatic exit from Peter's apartment where he just jumps through the window, <laughs> like through the glass. That could be like a gif. <laughs> Back in the club, Charlie first tries calling the police. When that doesn't work, he calls Peter, who is now really shaken up. While Charlie's distracted on the phone, Jerry hypnotizes and abducts Amy, who we know resembles Jerry's long-lost love. He eventually bites her, although that's more back at the house. On the dance floor, it gets pretty sexual. It's pretty wild. If you pay real close attention to how they do her makeup throughout the scene, they do sort of start transforming her already because... I think symbolically the whole thing is her turning into a woman and then eventually even beyond that, the sexed up crazed vampire. I was surprised with how uh, sexual our vampire friend here was being with her. Oh, he was all over her like they were at a regional theatrical performance of Beetlejuice. They're like grabbing each other's butts. Oh, yeah. It's like, wow, this is real wild. It's a little bit of a cuck moment for our boy. But it's weird because he keeps looking at them and then looking at the big mirror on the wall and not seeing Jerry. So they're really like hitting us with the no reflection thing. So again, ultimately it doesn't matter, but I guess maybe it's a little frustrating when the director's mapping out things and thinking, okay, I'm revealing to the audience here that he doesn't have a reflection. And then it's like, oh, well, they didn't even notice. Yeah, (laughs) I get it, but 
It's not like they didn't recreate it several more times. A frightened Peter initially refuses to help Charlie, but Jerry was clear that if he ever wants to see Amy again, Charlie needs to bring Peter Vincent to Jerry's house, just the two of them. The security guard in the club, the first one that he fights, is one of the bikers from Friday the 13th Part 3. Oh, sweet. If you remember that biker gang. I, re- I do. I remember it well. Yeah. The security guy. I like part three. <laughs> I don't understand why Jerry reveals himself like he does at the club. That does not fit with the rest of the movie. Because it oh, he like still makes kind a of, scene. Yeah. Yeah. He Well, everyone knows he's a vampire by the time he gets out of there. He's throwing people around. Right. His fangs are out. Uh, I think yeah, everyone's screaming. Yeah. And then he's, what, is he going to go back to a normal suburban life after this? It seems like you're going to have to move now. Yeah, I know. I don't know. There's a few moments like that that are a little bit weird, but overall, I think it's a pretty tight script. But that that doesn't really. Make Maybe sense he's just to me. like counting on the fact that everybody's hammered. They're not going to remember this. Peter eventually finds the hero within himself and makes a surprise arrival to help Charlie as he's about to go into Jerry's house. I got a little bit of deja vu from this sequence here. I felt like Jerry Dandridge was a little bit like. Patrick Bateman in American Psycho. He's like setting her up and playing music and then like talking about the music. (laughs) It does lead into what I consider to be one of the cool shots of the film, the blood going down Amy's bare shoulder and back. I think that's kind of a cool look because for a movie with a lot of goo and gore and vampire stuff, there's actually not a lot of blood. And that's one of the few shots of red blood. That's true. And it does stand out. Charlie coming into the room. Look, Oh, God, I know you were hypnotized, Amy, but did you have to sit on his face? (laughs) (laughs) Like, it just keeps getting worse, compounded. (laughs) She's, like, saying, I've never come like this. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's going to be hard for their uh, relationship to go back to normal after this. Your dick is so much bigger than Charlie's. (laughs) Entering Jerry's house, Charlie and Peter are initially able to hold Jerry at bay with a crucifix, although only Charlie's actually works because you need to have faith which then immediately leads me to wonder why did it work on Evil Ed when Peter did it? They're now know. claiming Peter doesn't have faith in it, but it worked well, earlier. Well, it might go back to th- the same thing. Like, the rules are different for how long you've been a vampire. Either that or, he, or he's just gotten scared and so yeah. he's lost faith in himself. Because this doesn't seem like an overly religious movie, so they don't, like, harp on, like, faith in the crucifix itself or yeah. God. But there does seem to be almost like an inner strength peter has to find here and True. that's sort of what they're alluding to but also maybe the power of christ compels you i, I don't know yeah. i'm not really sure billy appears and knocks charlie over the banister while peter flees running over to charlie's house but mrs brewster is working the late shift she doesn't reappear in the film which is kind of disappointing there's just a note charlie i've met a man you're old enough to fend for yourself now <laughs> i will never see you again <laughs> You can never ask me about this man. <laughs> there, Peter is surprised by a very, very gruesome-looking Ed who then morphs into a wolf. Yeah, that was unexpected for me. Well, yeah, I guess. I guess they always want to try to incorporate the wolf into the vampire stuff because there's the wolf in Dracula and all yeah. that stuff. But I guess it's probably easier in a way because they just use the straight-up wolf for a couple of shots or mm-hmm. whatever that is. I guess it's probably like a trained wolf. And then they didn't really do any favors for themselves after that because I think like a big theme over this climax of the movie is how fucking excruciating this all was for everybody. Yeah, really. A lot of makeup, 
a lot of shit going on. The contact lenses, my God. Because they had to use glass painted ones, and so they couldn't even see when they were wearing them. Oh, my gosh. But it ends up being way cooler than just using digital effects. Well, definitely. However, when the wolf attacks, it's pierced through the heart with a broken table leg held by Peter, which transforms the wolf back into Ed, kind of this sad... He's definitely killed pretty easily. ...weepy death. It takes a while. Yeah, it does kind of drag on, too. Removing the stake from Ed's body, Peter goes to rescue Charlie and battle Jerry. So yes, as I mentioned, just insane, insane hours in makeup. The custom contact lenses were hard plastic and glass, handmade and excruciating for cast members. Stephen Jeffries was temporarily blinded and suffered severe scratches on his eyes. Oof. Amanda Verse found herself extremely uncomfortable with her second pair and had to stop shooting to have them sanded down because they gave her ones that hadn't been sanded, so they were all, like, I mean, just torturous. Wow. Well, a lot has to go into this type of operation. Now they can make soft painted contact lenses, but soft contact lenses are a relatively new thing. True. I don't know that they even existed back then, but if they did, it was not common. It should be pointed out, Evil Ed does not disintegrate, so most people assume that his character is still alive, especially based on the last little laugh there at the end. I thought his transformation back was kind of the reverse American Werewolf in London. Yeah. It looked very similar. Agreed. But in reverse. I feel like there's a little bit of crossover between those two movies. Oh, yeah, for sure. This moment is horrifying for this tone, but I think it is earned by the buildup. You know, it's rough. It's a rough beat. Because even though Evil Ed is obnoxious and annoying, he hasn't done anything so terrible that no, he deserves such a horrifying death. And it is kind of lingering I on mean, his the dying and all that. character arc is really one sad moment after another. Imagine Mrs. Brewster just coming home. Your, your new dead friend is just on the floor. Yeah. Charlie, what the fuck? <laughs> I've ignored the fart and cum smells. Yeah. And now this. I'm calling the police. You're going to jail. Yeah, right. She would be digging a fucking yeah. grave. You know that she fucking wants to sleep in Charlie's bed. <laughs> She's that kind of mom. You I'm know? sure. A little too close. All right. Telling him about her nude dreams. <laughs> well, that is weird. Peter goes back over to Jerry's house, which is now full misty, full-blown misty. Yeah, right. Just the house emitting mist. <laughs> <laughs> Multiple mist machines at work. Charlie is locked in with Amy, who is now slowly transforming into a vampire. And by transforming into a vampire, it's sort of a wild situation. I don't know why they thought all these things needed to happen, but Amy has short brown hair mm-hmm. the majority of the film. But as she transforms into a vampire, she gets long red hair, orangey red, and is put in this Marilyn Monroe type white dress and is, I guess, part of where the phrase might come from vamping it up it's like oversexed crazy yeah and there is definitely a stage where she's super hot (laughs) looking like a vampire yeah yeah peter creeps back into the house and manages to free charlie before amy awakens saying the process can be reversed if they destroy jerry before dawn at this point we're just making up rules as we go who cares where did that come from who knows we can't have this poor girl's life ruined though so well we need a way out i do think charlie actually does question it he goes well it was in the movie or whatever (laughs) well what do we have here vampire killers 
cop, or I'll shoot. I mean it. Don't force me to shoot. On the stairs, they have that big confrontation with Billy where it's revealed that he's not human after all and he is not killable by bullet and he has his little Undertaker slash Michael Myers moment of the sit-up in the background and then he's all of a sudden coming up the stairs again after he's been shot in the face. And that's one of those fun fan debate, fan theory things about what exactly is Billy and we touched on all that stuff earlier, but I don't know. And th- when they talk about it in the doc, it doesn't seem like anyone knows. It no, just yeah. was a thing that they did, and no one really thought too much about it. But he's clearly not a vampire. But some sort of other supernatural being. Yeah, I do think that in some of the vampire stories of time, that they do sometimes make zombies or make I slaves mean, or things of that nature. still killed with a stake through the heart, though. Yeah, right? so that might be the half vampire thing. I don't know all the mythology. Yeah. Who knows? But his death is awesome. Yeah. It's very gross and gruesome. He turns out to be some sort of undead zombie monster vampire thing after all, and <laughs> the bullets are ineffective. However, they a really need like a one word name for that. <laughs> through the heart, does the trick, and Billy's destroyed, melting into goo and sand before only bones remain. Looks painful, but let's face it, it's probably a bit of a relief, honestly. Yeah. It's enough already. Time to go. Living. <laughs> yeah. The follow around Mr. Sweater over here, Mr. <laughs> Overcoat. 
leaves me nothing but table scraps. That's right. <laughs> Killing Billy is all well and good, but Charlie and Peter are running out of time to save Amy. Now that Jerry has no allies remaining, he commands Amy to awaken as some half-vampire monster, instructing her to kill. But things have changed now. Peter's renewed faith in his abilities restores the appropriate power back to his crucifix, and he's able to use it against an overconfident Jerry. The vampire crashes through the giant stained glass window at the top of the steps, but is held at bay by Peter's crucifix as the color of the sky changes behind Jerry. The sun is rising. All right, this is our moment. Johnny, he's not up here. Going downstairs, Charlie. As the sun comes up, Jerry transforms into a bat and attacks Peter and Charlie before fleeing to his coffin in the basement. Charlie and Peter pursue Jerry downstairs, but Amy emerges almost through with her transformation. So if he makes it to his coffin, 
wouldn't he still be unsafe in this situation? Yeah, but he has to be there yeah. though because the sun's coming yeah. up, so he doesn't have a choice. Yeah, they could have just waited, I yeah. guess. But they have to deal with they Amy. gotta get the Amy thing. Oh here. yeah, well they introduced that they have to do it by yeah right the end of the night. Like yes, they, so they have until the end of whatever the sunrise is, I guess, to be able to make Amy human. Like yes, they're definitely gonna win now, right. By destroying him, but to but save they, Amy, worried about her. Yeah. The bat is pretty cool. It's not like right. a normal looking bat. It looks like a not. It actually doesn't look like a bat. It's more of like a miniature dragon type monster uh, yeah. or something. Because it looks reptilian, not mammal. Okay. You know what I mean? It doesn't yeah. have hair right. like a bat. It looks wet too. It's really gross stuff in this. Seriously. For her final transformation into a vampire, Amanda burst down a prosthetic breastplate to enhance her cleavage. In 2012, burst brought them to a horror convention and encouraged fans to feel her boobs while she signed autographs. I think she ended up selling it to somebody too, which is kind of creepy that someone bought it. But it's also creepy that they thought that this was necessary. Oh, I know. Did you even notice that her breasts were bigger? I did this time, but only because I'd already read that fact. I didn't. Obviously, it seemed like they were trying to accentuate <laughs> things with the outfit, but I wouldn't have known based on what she was wearing earlier. Yeah, it, it does seem kind of weird based on her participation in the doc and she seemed very happy with the movie and everything it didn't seem like a big deal especially back then but it is weird though because totally it's not like they're doing anything that noticeable like it's not as if she's topless and they wanted to use a body double or something it's i don't know it seemed very pointless yeah gratuitous let's face it though vampire amy is pretty fucking hot and (laughs) You know that it crossed his mind. Like, could we fuck now and then we turn her back? Or <laughs> can we get it in here? Or Trying to, like, come up with some sort of negotiation. I already talked about the shark mouth thing, but it is cool how it just sort of came together as a favor. Like, yeah. everyone was having fun, and so the props guy was like, yeah, I'll make this for free. I know we already are over budget, but okay. And threw something together, and then it goes on to be the iconic imagery that's right. used in the poster yeah. and the cover of the Blu-ray and everything. While Charlie fights off Vampire Amy, Peter breaks open Jerry's coffin and tries to stake him through the heart, but Peter awakens before he can finish the job. By breaking the blacked-out windows in the basement, though, Peter and Charlie expose Jerry to the sunlight, destroying him and returning Amy to her human form. Again, a pretty cool death. Yeah. A puppet that was created for the ghost librarian's monstrous visage in Ghostbusters was rejected as being too terrifying for a PG movie. Oh. When the FX crew subsequently went to work on this film, they realized the rejected model resembled the vampire bat that they'd created, so they repurposed and utilized it for the vampire's fiery destruction. Okay. I thought it looked very similar to that one effect in Cemetery Man when the death skeleton thing comes and warns him to stop killing the dead. (laughs) That looked exactly like this. Right, yeah. A few nights later... Peter returns to his Fright Night TV series, though it's never really explained how he was unfired. I don't know why. He announces it's a... that restored confidence. He was able to walk in and be like, I need to be back on the air. <laughs> it's funny you say that, because I yeah. kind of thought the same thing <laughs> in a way. I was like, well, okay, I kind of buy it, I yeah. guess. He announces a hiatus from vampire movies, presenting an alien invasion film instead. Charlie and Amy watch while making out on his bed. Charlie gets up to turn off the TV and glimpses red eyes in the darkness over at Jerry's now vacant home, but he dismisses it. 
The maniacal laugh and the repetition of the you're so cool Brewster line seems to indicate that Evil Ed is still alive and possibly squatting next door, but clearly Charlie's priorities have changed and he's going to get that ass now that he put on hold for <laughs> two weeks while he had to deal with this vampire sitch. <laughs> a little bit of a detour. If he just wasn't distracted and looking out the window, which is, by the way, the lesson. Yeah. And the lesson is learned by the Don't ignore the what's right in front of your face. Yeah. Also, he can't let his mom down. His mom is literally in the hall with the glass <laughs> up against the door trying to listen in. <laughs> <laughs> My son's becoming a man. Originally, the script featured a radically different ending, which was revised prior to filming as Charlie and Amy lie on the bed making out. Fright Night comes on TV, and Peter Vincent declares tonight's creepy crawler is Dracula Strikes Again, obviously about vampires. You know what vampires look like, don't you? They look like this. Charlie and Amy are horrified as Peter begins to transform. Once his transformation into a vampire is complete, Peter stares into the camera, says, hello, Charlie, and then the picture freeze frames and the credits roll. First of all, I don't really think that makes any sense, but second of all, it's probably too similar to the end of The Howling when Dee Wallace transforms into a werewolf on the news. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Uh -uh. It's a pretty cool ending. Yeah. And shocking. (laughs) Okay. And I think it would have been stealing it, frankly. I just don't think that was a good idea. Okay. The novelization fills in some background details on the characters. Normally, I would not be that interested in this, but because this was the era of the novelizations and because I just bought the Halloween 3 novelization, which I may (laughs) or may not read excerpts from later this month. Oh, boy. I felt like it might be fun to go down this road a little bit. All right, cool. Despite Charlie saying he and Amy had been a couple for nearly a year, in the book they'd only been seeing each other for three months. His father had left the family years ago. Charlie's middle name is Alan. Who cares? He was planning to propose to Amy someday. So what? A lot of high school kids say that. It doesn't mean anything. (laughs) Peter Vincent's real name is Herbert McCoolahy, which he does reference having a a different real name in the movie. He auditioned for a bit part in a horror movie and instead got the lead role, so he changed his name to Peter Vincent. He's been an actor for 25 years. After being fired, he planned to move to Cleveland to host a new show. Is Cleveland a downgrade to some anonymous Iowa town? I think Cleveland's probably an upgrade. I would say it's got to be a market that pays more. Jerry Dandridge is at least 400 years old, possibly more. He'd been the first to publicly claim to the vampire community that chemical additives upped blood's nutritional value to the undead. Uh, Okay. Dandridge is highly rated in vampire society. He comes from Transylvania originally and and can implant psychic commands into people's minds. He knows right away that Evil Ed failed to kill Peter, which makes sense because he does seem to send Evil Ed there. But then when he's talking to Charlie, you and Peter have to come because I know (laughs) Ed failed. Billy Cole has served Dandridge for 113 years. Although not a vampire, he's not human either, but he does eat and drink, and the book implies he's a necrophiliac. Wow. That's quite Okay, a that was worth reading all yeah. of this. That was great. <laughs> Billy sometimes envied Jerry's powers. Jerry and Billy claim to be business partners. Dandridge deals in antiques, which is how he made his fortune. That seems like a recurring theme in a lot of horror. Yeah. Stephen King, the Friday the 13th TV show. <laughs> he finds the antiques. Billy restores them. He claims the coffin that he and Billy carry in the basement was a 16th century Bavarian chest. The reason why Peter is hosting Fright Night at the climax is because after he was fired, one of the stagehands got the job. The teen audience was outraged, and Peter was backed by public demand. Okay. 
The end scene is supposed to be set three months later. Even though Amy's human again, she still has the breasts of a vampire, much to Charlie's delight. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) This is like fan fiction, yeah. (laughs) And Charlie and Amy's relationship has moved on to the sexual level. Well, that's not really a surprise. I think that's pretty much implied. In 2015, when asked if he could do a sequel to any of his movies, ignoring existing reboots... For a YouTube fan questions video, writer-director Tom Holland replied that he'd like to do a follow-up to Fright Night using the original cast. His proposed plot was that single father Charlie Brewster inherits his mother's home, and soon after taking up residence, his two teenage children become convinced that there's something evil in the house next door, namely Evil Ed, who is squatting in the abandoned mansion attempting to resurrect Jerry Dandridge. That could be interesting. Okay. We'll come back to that idea in a second because there actually was a Fright Night sequel. After the critical and financial success of the first film, producer Herb Jaffe retained the screen rights to characters and pushed for a sequel. Although he was unhappy that the budget was drastically slashed, Holland was interested, but Sarandon and he were both tied up making Child's Play and could not commit to the film, though director... Tommy Lee Wallace oh. sought out Holland for advice, and Sarandon visited the set while they were shooting. Stephen Jeffries was approached to reprise the role of Evil Ed, but he did not like the script, and he was offered the lead in 976 Evil, which was scheduled to shoot at the same time, so he opted to take that part instead. A lot of horror movies going on at the same time. It's weird how similar that character is, too. Part of it is that it's him, but it's also he's a loser who gets these powers and then becomes evil. Oh, wow. It's not that great of a movie. It's okay. Burse read an early draft of the script that included the Amy character, but she was busy with the TV series Married with Children, so a new girlfriend portrayed by Tracy Lind was written for Charlie Brewster. In the end, only Ragsdale and McDowell reprised their roles, and a new set of villains was devised. I have never seen fright night part two as i said it's not readily available you can't stream it right now there's no american blu-ray i don't know about the dvd but it's probably out of print supposedly there's going to be a 4k restoration in 2024 because there are fans of it it has like a cult following too all right i've heard that some people really like it i can't comment though i've never seen it so That brings us up into the 2011 remake, which I did see in the theater, but I have not seen since and do not remember at all, so I asked Matt to rewatch it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I saw it in the theater, and I rewatched it within like a year. (laughs) That's weird. And then I watched it this morning. It must just be a fairly forgettable entry, (laughs) because I'm already like, yeah, what do I want to talk about from it? It just doesn't capture really any of the essence. Very much feels like a movie from 2011. Yeah. Let's start there. It but, was directed uh, by Craig Galipsy, who has directed I, Tanya, and he was involved with the Pam and Tommy show. And it was yep. done through DreamWorks. And oddly enough, Steven Spielberg was on set helping with shooting some stuff. And Chris Randon is in a scene. Yeah, Chris Randon passes the torch because isn't yeah. he like a victim yeah. of the vampire who's he played by killed. Colin Farrell? I remember thinking it was okay. It's a little more grim. There's definitely like a l- more deaths. Oh it. yeah, I heard it doesn't really have the comedic yeah, heart element no. to it, which a lot of the people involved with the original film I think complained about. Yeah, yeah, a little bit after the. Fact. It just doesn't have that same feel like at all. Colin Farrell, oddly enough, was a big fan of the original, and 
was really pissed that they were doing a remake and then he read the script and he was like oh i, I guess i kind of like it so i'll try to be in it but then when they invited chris sarandon on he was like shaking he was like so nervous to meet him. wow he watched fright night so much as a kid that's wild that's kind of a cool story and gave him like these gifts and stuff and so it seemed like pretty cool i think their heart was in the right place i don't think it was my yeah. memory is that it wasn't a bad movie no but yeah, I would agree with the not being memorable part. It has right. a very cool cast. For sure. And I love Tony Collette. And Anton Yelchin, Imogen Pooch, yeah. Colin Farrell, Christopher Mintz-Plasse. Yeah, that's right. As Dave Franco's in it, too. Yeah, it's a really interesting group of people. I get, I guess that they probably got a, a good cast because it was DreamWorks. I think DreamWorks was probably trying to cash in on the horror remake craze and they were kind of coming at it late so they got not one of the biggest franchises but i think it did okay at the box office but not that great because the budget was like 30 million or something i don't know yeah it got and like a 70 something percent on rotten tomatoes david Tennant plays the yeah peter vincent character and it's sort of kind of the same thing but it just doesn't have that same campiness to it and then they made a sequel to that film, which I believe was straight to video oh, wow. or VOD. It has some weird title that I don't even really remember, like huh. Fright Night Part 2, The New Flesh, or not The New Flesh, but it's like David Cronenberg directed. <laughs> no, I don't know. Welcome to the Flesh or yeah. something. I don't know. I, I've never seen it. Who cares? There was a stage adaptation, which, again, I would never normally mention, but it debuted in Pittsburgh. Oh, wow. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I think that'll probably do it for Fright Night. So let's get into the segments. We are running late because we're recording this the same night that we did Starship Troopers because we are trying to catch back up after all that time off. But we're in the thick of it. This is going to be a very busy month. So be on your toes if you're still listening. Make sure that you're ready for new downloads. Make sure you're subscribed because there are going to be all kinds of nights coming up. Oh, Eight right. episodes, yep. hopefully, unless we run into another issue or something. But that's the plan. Yep. So let's get into segments. First up, let's do recommendations what are you doing what? what vincent stopped making picks well how am i gonna know what movies to see we have a wide variety of gene picks gene's trash i'm gene you didn't have one for starship troopers so i'm assuming you still don't correct mine i just was like all right well what's a vampire movie we haven't really talked about ever because i feel like i've recommended several i know i've recommended the hunger and other ones. The Hunger's great. And Near Dark, I've also recommended. Yeah. So what's a movie that we haven't really talked about? So, John Carpenter's Vampires. <laughs> I have a soft spot for that movie because of Cheryl Lee. Yeah. And there's a couple of lines that I almost begrudgingly laugh at because James Woods is like so obnoxious. Right. Especially in real life. But he is obnoxious <laughs> in the movie, too. Yeah. But that movie sucks. Mm -hmm. That's at a point where Carpenter was completely mailing it in. There was... Right. Nothing good anymore. But anyway, 30 Days of Night. Oh, okay. Wow. Which I haven't seen since the theater. Yeah, I was going to say, I haven't seen it since about that, since when it came out on physical but media. But I'm doing a rewatch because I remember thinking it was decent. Same here. I wanted it to be even cooler than it was because it's such a good idea that my expectations actually kept growing going into the movie. I yeah. kept thinking this is going to be great. And it's not great, but it's pretty good. It takes place in Alaska where it's dark for 30 straight days. So let's introduce vampires into that idea yeah. so they don't have to stop for 30 days, which is a pretty cool premise. 
Josh Hartnett is in it. I think yep. is the is the woman Melissa Leo or what? Or no, I, Melissa George. Yeah, yeah, Melissa, Melissa George. Leo. Yeah. <laughs> There's probably a few other recognizable people in it too, but like I said, I haven't seen it since the theater. So yeah, wow. I remember being a cool, and it's streaming for free on Tubi. I don't think I have a Blu-ray of it, which hopefully I don't, since I haven't watched it since the theater. But it's always a possibility that I grabbed it for a dollar or something. But anyway, I'm gonna try to watch it this October because yeah. I thought it was pretty cool. Maybe I'm completely wrong, though. It was a long time ago. Well, you have to check back in and let us know. I've been doing podcasting since that movie came out, believe it or not. And most of the shows, actually all of the shows except for this one, are completely lost to time. (laughs) But I was doing a podcast in the very early days of podcasts existing. And that was one of the episodes we did. We would go to the movies and then talk about the movie we just saw. Awesome. 30 Days of Night was one of those illustrious eight episodes. Love to hear it. I can read just go to the movies. (laughs) All right. All right. All right, you go ahead. You go ahead. You keep it secret. But you remember this. When you control the mail, you control information. Which brings us to email. This week's email comes from Luke, and I wanted to read his email because he was responding to us doing Speed Racer, so I didn't want too much time to go by before I got to it. And I was curious. I was curious what his reaction would be because Speed Racer was definitely an adventure for us. Totally. So I didn't know what he would think. Hey, guys. First off, loved the pod. I thought you struck a good balance of pointing out legitimate flaws while highlighting the redeeming parts. I'm not a fan of the anime manga or any other associated works of Speed Racer, so there's no reverence or some aspect of my childhood that you, quote, crushed by pointing out shortcomings or even parts you didn't care for. I was smiling and laughing the whole way through. Good. Well, that's a relief. That was That's the point. When I wrote and said Speed Racer is my favorite movie, I should have clarified it's my favorite right now. I go in spurts. I did that with Lord of the Rings, totally. Scott Pilgrim, and even outside of movies like Kurt Vonnegut novels, etc., It's a visually assaulting movie, and that's hard to convey over a podcast, but I thought you did a good job of making that clear. The one thing you didn't mention was the wraparound headshots, the lead-up to the final race, seeing everyone's faces. They all anticipate what's about to come. I've never seen a movie do that. (laughs) I'm not sure what he means exactly, but I guess he's talking about the anticipation of the race. Oh, well, they do like the close-ups of the faces all through the movie. It's a big part of it. They knew what they were doing with stuff like that. If you watch, they're teasing that moment out at various points, using the technique slowly, introducing it when you don't notice, culminating it in the final race when it supports the narrative. It's why I think I was so fascinated by this movie. You can tell what they cared about and what they didn't. I think it's part of the reason they got Goodman and Sarandon. Please do the emotional heavy lifting because we don't really give a shit about those scenes is what I'm guessing the Wachowskis said. The clips you picked were funny to me, like 90% engine noises. (laughs) Yeah, well, it wasn't easy. I wanted to use very specific moments in that movie, but they're not online already. And as I have said before, I'm only taking what's already online. I can't invest any more time in this. I'm glad you liked the Royalton actor. I didn't want to say anything beforehand because like everything in the movie, it's hard to tell if it's laughably overdone or right on the money. The whole movie rides the line of, is this good or did we go off the rails here? I'm glad you guys had fun with it. I certainly had fun listening. Loyal ass clown Luke from St. Paul. Great. P.S. This is an all-timer, parentheses, all-timer in caps for movies to watch high. Wow. I feel like it would give me anxiety, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. I also tend to... To be fair, everything gives me anxiety. 
I also tend to write embarrassing text messages when watching movies. <laughs> <laughs> She's never seen a single Paul Walker movie? That's a huge oh no no. She also doesn't care about Blu-ray. She's a monster. So now it's time for the return, the long-anticipated return yeah. of physical media spotlight. We've been teasing this out. Actually, we just wanted to take a break from having to think of this stuff, but I wanted to bring it back specifically for Greatest October because I wanted to highlight some of our favorite horror releases, which is something we'll do every episode. I'll go first just to kick off okay. what we're doing. It's sort of not that interesting because I just talked about something that's related to it well, recently. So we'll build but up. There's a reason I picked it to be first. And I wanted to highlight a release that I thought was really cool, and I bought it right as I was starting to get serious about collecting movies again and what has led to the collection I have now. And that is Hellraiser, the Scarlet Box from Arrow, released in 2016, right when I was starting collecting again. Three movies, four cuts. It's a beautiful box set that went out of print immediately, and so the price went through the roof, although now, of course, it's back to being normal because of the 4K set that's about to come out, which you would think would upset me if I'm saying, oh, I love this thing, and now the value's not there, but it's not about the value or anything like that. It's just important to me because, A, Hellraiser's really cool and like a really, I think, underrated horror franchise that we did the episode of, and I've now watched the first two movies a bunch of times. The third one's pretty cool, too. Don't really care for the fourth one, which leads me to what i mentioned in a previous physical media spotlight segment the hellraiser quartet of torment 4k set which is very similar coming from arrow in october of this year october 23rd four movies six cuts it goes through the first four films like i said the fourth one isn't really that great but whatever the first two are awesome and then the third one's okay so you can pick up that as long as it's still around i think you can get like a regular edition of it though like because Arrow does like the cool boxes and then they'll do like regular sets or whatever. But yeah, I just bought that Hellraiser thing kind of on a whim. I was like, what are the cool box sets? I bought that BBS Criterion set. Yeah, yeah. And then I was like, I got into a box set mood that day. And I was like, I want to buy another box set since I'm just getting into movies now again. And I bought the Hellraiser one and I was like, wow, this thing is awesome. It's a cool looking set with an awesome hardback book in it. I don't know. It's really cool. All right. Sweet. So pick up the new 4K one if, you know, when that comes out. And I'm going to do a recycle of something that I did as a recommendation long before physical media uh-huh. spotlight. And it, it is one of the first things that I owned on 4K. And they've now done a second one, maybe more, I don't know. But it's the first uh, 4K box set of Alfred Hitchcock's Classics Classics collection which we talked about rear window yeah includes rear window vertigo psycho and the birds and i've gotten a ton of mileage out of this we've watched Lindsay and i each of the movies on here multiple times we should pick up volume two and volume three is coming out soon with five more yeah yeah so So. volume two i still haven't even opened it yet i have both we didn't really talk about this beforehand, but I, I think we'll try to do different things. So, like, now that Matt has done that, I won't do the same one. Yeah. But, yeah, this is also a set I love as well. And the first five they pick are all bangers. Yeah. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of North by Northwest, but if that's, like, your biggest complaint, then, I mean, yeah. come on. The Birds is silly, but it's always fun. Totally. I like it. Still, yeah, I yeah. like it, too, even though it, it's it's kind of stupid. I know. But I do enjoy it. But yeah, the other three are, of course, the 
the ones you would expect vertigo psycho rear window yeah yeah now the only ones that they haven't included in these 4k sets are the ones that criterion's got their hooks deep into but the second set is definitely a drop down but there's still good movies on it totally. and then the third one i'm blanking right now but i think most of the ones on the third one i don't think i had seen yet and i think half the ones on the second one or something like that so yeah yep i think that that's a good pick as well and we'll keep this going through the rest of the month as we roll on like we said it's going to be super busy so we'll wrap up here there'll be an episode coming your way soon when that gets posted we'll have more of an explanation of what we're doing this month but i don't want to spoil everything right away yeah hang tight anyway thanks so much for listening please make sure you subscribe to the podcast on apple Podcasts, podbean etc Please give us a rating and review if you get a chance on Apple Podcasts. Please follow us on Twitter, Accuratus Pod. Please tweet at the show. Reach out. We love hearing from you. And most importantly, if you're going to reach out, reach out via email. Greatestpod at gmail.com. We'd love to read your email on the show. Thank you to Luke for this email. Thanks for the listener request of Speed Racer. If you have done a listener request with us, I know there's still a lot of you who have not responded to this yet. Please tell us about that movie, especially if it's one that's a little unexpected, a little different. If we commented that we had never seen it, anything like that. How did you come across it? Why is this movie important to you? It doesn't have to be the most exciting, compelling story. No. Just anything. Anything that happened. How did you find it? Why do you like it? What did you think of our episode? Honestly, even the most mundane story is compelling, I think, when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, we have a pretty fun drive-in movie theater one that we've teased before. That one will be coming up at some point. So stuff like that, dates, emotional experiences, fond memories, whatever, sneaking into a movie. Yep. Seeing a movie that you had no interest in and then you were blown away. Like your friends drag you to this and then you were like, what the fuck? (laughs) You know, something like that. Anyway, we'd love to hear from you. And, of course, since it's Greatest October, anything horror-themed would be fun, too. And Matt loves to have his ego stroked. So (laughs) Peter wrote us an email saying that he loved Titanic. If you want to tell us your favorite episode, Matt would enjoy that. Absolutely. (laughs) Or what episode you found us on. That's always a favorite as well. Because it seems like most of our listeners found us by just searching random movies, which is sort of what we always thought would happen. Yeah, yeah. Because how else were we going to find us? We're not really anybody. Anyway, thanks for listening. Greatest October will roll on. Talk to you soon. Don't sing if you want to live long. They have no use for your song. You're dead, you're dead, you're dead. You're dead and out of this world. You'll never get a second chance. Plan all your moves in advance. Stay dead, stay dead, stay dead. Stay dead and out of this world Run fast, don't stand in the sun There's too much work to be done You're down, you're down, you're down You're down and out of this world Talk with your eyes, be sure that you compromise. You're dead, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead and out of this world. Hear the unloved reaping like rain, 
guard your sleep from the sound of their pain. Long gone, long gone, long gone, long gone, and out of this world. When you smile and it tears your face, it's time for the inhuman race. You're down, you're down, you're down, you're down and out of this world. Now I hope that compassion is gone. You've sold out your dream to the world. Stay dead, stay dead, stay dead. You're dead and out of this world. OBJ, I'm glad to see you live. You look well. Thank you. So do you. Thank you. I appreciate you meeting me at this neutral location. <clears throat> In this velvet tote, you will find the rest of your belongings from my house, including undergarments and an unopened thing of printer paper. Judy, I just have one thing to say really thought we were meant to be together. Well, me too, EJ. I did too. It's just, um, I'm not good at relationship stuff. That's what I'm figuring out. Because all my ideas and my thoughts about it are from teen movies. Judy, that's not true. You've had plenty of lovers. BJ, I haven't gobbled a thousand cocks like you think I have. I was trying to impress you. What? I've only had one boyfriend before you. You never told me that. I thought you'd fucked a million guys. I know, and you loved it when I said that. But the truth is, I've had one boyfriend, and his name was Dr. Warren Carmichael, and he was my economics professor, and he was 56 years old, and he was very smart, and he dressed like a casual beach man to come to class with flip-flops and everything, and I gotta tell you, I found that very, very hot. One day before class, he walked in, and he comes up to me and he goes, nice Patagonia shirt. Got to get me one of those. <laughs> Let's just say I knew what he meant. OK, full lightning bolt through my slit. When class was over, there were snail trails on my chair. Like, no one should have sat in that chair after me. It was damp. <laughs> so as everybody filed out, I followed him into his office and I locked the door behind me and I covered his mouth with my hand, and I jacked him off with my other hand. <clears throat> he was fighting me, <laughs> but I thought it was part of his sexy little game. After he shot, and he shot a lot, he started crying and talking some shit about his son's birthday coming up, and how his wife was a great lady. Oh my God, he was married? He did a restraining order on me, so I bought him a Jeep Grand Cherokee to prove I loved him. And he kept it, but I saw his wife driving it one day at Harris Teeter, and that hurt me, you know? So I went to his son's elementary school, and I pulled the boy Laird out of school after giving the office a note on gemstone letterhead, and I took him to the beach. We ate ham slices and I told him everything about me and his dad. And he was really taking it in. 
You know, you'd think for a third grader, he wouldn't be able to take all that in, but he was really taking it in, and we were really making good friends. But then the police showed up, and they tackled me. And they took away Laird. They just took him away in the police car. And me and Dr. Carmichael weren't boyfriends and girlfriends after that. Jesus Christ, Judy, you kidnapped his son? Yeah. That's me, BJ. I'm damaged goods. I'm a handful. And you're perfect. You really, really are. And I'm just sorry. I'm sorry for everything, BJ. Judy, it's all... It's all just... That's a lot. Which part? All of it. Okay. You never told me about this professor and how you jacked him. And if all you did was jack him, that means I took your virginity. I would have liked to have known. You give me a lot to think about. Enjoy the rest of your Outback Steakhouse meal, Judy. Good eye. Good day, BJ.